Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should do something, and we'll talk to my friend Sophie Solomon about what she's learned about herself from staying safer at home in her childhood bedroom, and why you should treat your budget as your moral document. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I am in my home office in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, uh, my childhood bedroom would reveal a passion for Lucite. I loved Lucite. I remember that stage. Yes, Yes, I remember the Lucite. And before we jump in, we want to remind everybody that we will be talking about The Dutch House, the brilliant novel by Ann Patchett in July. So if you want to send us your insights and observations to hashtag Happier Podcast Book Club, please do, because we're very excited to be talking to Ann Patchett about The Dutch House. Yes. Any questions you have, um, we will have her there to answer. Yes. So, Lizette, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to do something. Yes. Don't do nothing. Do something. We're recording this episode on June 15th. While the United States and the world is responding to the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, it's many, many other incidences. A lot is happening. A lot more needs to happen. And there's a huge amount of discussion about what to do, uh, which is so important. And as is always the case with complicated issues, committed, highly principled, and well-intentioned people have different views about the best way to proceed, what right action looks like, the language to use, how best to help. People have different ideas about what to do. Yeah, and it's just something I think a lot of us are grappling with. Yeah, and I find myself getting very caught up in, like, out of an earnest desire not to do the wrong thing, I start feeling like, well, I just want to hold back and do nothing. But then I realize it may not be clear what the one right thing to do is, But it's clear that the one wrong thing to do is to do nothing, that the most wrong thing to do is to do nothing, even if it's not clear what to do. Yeah, it's better to like stumble forward than do nothing. Like with this podcast, some people we've heard from people who say, you know what, usually you don't talk about current events and I love having a break from current events, so I wish you wouldn't talk about current events. And then other listeners say, how can you talk about anything except current events because what's happening right now is so important. And those are two different views. Yeah. And, you know, some people say, well, who are you two with your backgrounds and your place in the world to talk about these issues? But we have to say to ourselves, you know, these issues need to be everyone's issues. Yes. That's part of the problem is that they haven't been the everyone's issues. And so we need to do something. We need to do something. The most wrong thing to do is nothing. And so, you know, just do something even in the knowledge that for some people, they will say you should do something else, but we've got to do something. Yeah, Uh, you have to follow your values, what you can do, what you think is right. Yes. Um, And also, as we've been discussing, educate yourself. Because I think that helps make the path forward clearer. So let us know if you do tread this at home and how doing something works for you. And what are you doing? Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, happiercast.com slash 278 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we have a follow-up to our dollar bill measuring hack. But first, this break. 
Let's talk about brushing our teeth. 75% of us use old, worn-out bristles that are ineffective, and even more people forget to floss daily. And I have to say that as an underbuyer, I am a person who keeps using my toothbrush <laughs> far longer than I should. But fortunately, Quip has fixed that. Because with Quip, I get the brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of every three months for just $5 each, which is a friendly reminder when it's time to refresh and to stay committed to my oral health. Plus, shipping is free. Join over 3 million happy customers and practice good oral care easily and affordably with Quip, starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash happier right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash happier. Spelled getquip.com slash happier. Quip, the good habits company. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretchen, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M.com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Okay, Gretchen, it is time for this week's happiness hack. And again, it's something to help you measure. Well, yeah, last week we talked about how you can use a dollar bill as a measurement for about six inches. And several listeners wrote in to let us know that there is an app, of course, there is an app for everything called Measure that can measure anything. It's, and I tried it, it is really wild. You do a few things to calibrate and then it can just measure things. And it also works as a level. That's incredible. Yeah, it. Uh, I found I downloaded it when you told me about it, and I just found myself like randomly measuring things. <laughs> it's, it's strangely compelling. There's this great line by the science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke. He wrote Clarke's Three Laws, and the third and most famous law is any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And as I was looking at this thing magically measuring things, I thought, you know what? It's happened. It's here. Like, how is this possible? I don't know. But anyway, if you've got a smartphone, you can measure up a storm. That is so good to know. Yeah. Uh, and so now for this week's spotlight on a black writer. So this week, it's James McBride. Now, James McBride is a writer and musician who was awarded the 2015 National Humanities Medal. Uh, he's very well known for his 1995 memoir, The Color of Water, A Black Man's Tribute to His White Mother, which was on the bestseller list for, you know, more than two years. It's assigned in schools. I read that years ago, and I just read his latest novel, which was a big bestseller called Deacon King Kong. And Deacon King Kong is one of my favorite kinds of novels. It's where it starts out, kind of introduces you to uh, a set of characters in a certain situation, and you get very interested in them. 
And then a couple chapters later, you're introduced to a new set of characters. And you get very interested in them. And a couple chapters later, it's a different set of characters. So you get very interested in them. And then as the novel moves forward, all of their fates start to weave in and out. And so by the end, they're all coming together. And you have this view of all these people kind of in combination. So I love Deacon King Kong. I cannot wait to read The Good Lord Bird, which is his, uh, his novel that came out in 2013. And it won the National Book Award that year. But I will say about Deacon King Kong, I just heard Elizabeth right before we sat down to record that Oprah just picked Deacon King Kong oh. for her book club. And so, you know, Oprah and I, we're in constant communication. Um, so it's a great book. <laughs> I have it uh, right at my elbow, Gretchen. It's next. Uh, it's my next book. Excellent. Yes. So that's Deacon King Kong. And next, I cannot wait to read The Good Lord Bird. James McBride, and I will link to all those books in the show notes. And Gretch, now it is time for Know Yourself Better, and this is a special Know Yourself Better. Yes, because we're having a guest, Sophie Solomon, uh, to talk about a Know Yourself Better question. Now, I met Sophie at a Yale alum event, and somehow we figured out that we both love children's literature. So now we're part of the same children's literature reading group. (laughs) And when Sophie is not doing our assigned reading, she runs the Sesame Workshop Writer's Room, which she helped create as a talent incubator for new writing talent from underrepresented backgrounds. The program has launched writing careers at Disney, Netflix, DreamWorks, and beyond. She also leads free writing workshops throughout New York City at the New York Public Libraries. Now, when the coronavirus struck, by chance, Sophie was on vacation with her parents and younger sister in San Francisco, and they decided to be safer at home together in her parents' house in Alabama. So Sophie has been spending these last months living in her childhood home and staying in her childhood bedroom. And Gretch, I know you've heard a little about what that experience has been like for her, and you realize it's a fascinating know-yourself-better question. What did you learn from staying in your childhood bedroom? <laughs> so welcome, Sophie! Hi! Hi! Hi, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Straight from the childhood bedroom. Yes, deep in in Alabama. (laughs) Well, Sophie, we just have to ask you, what have you learned about yourself from staying in your childhood bedroom? I mean, just thinking about it, like I'm flooded with feelings about my childhood bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. In some ways, I've been coming back to this room in the last few years, like when I come home for the holidays and stuff. So I've been in it. But to be in it for such a prolonged period of time, (laughs) I never in a million years would have expected I'd be here, you know, for months on end. But I I don't think I don't know if there was like a moment where I began to rediscover like, like, I've always had a lot of journals. And, And there are certain journals I always go back to. And I've recently been opening journals I haven't looked at in a long time. And I look at old journals a lot, but mm-hmm. there was this one particular journal I came across, which was um, from the summer that I went to like my first big summer camp. I was 14. It was six weeks. And so, yeah, so it was my Ooh. first time really leaving home for a prolonged period of time. And it was a music camp. So there was a lot of structure in that we had lessons, we had rehearsals, but there was a lot of things we had to do. But in reading this journal, which is so meticulous, like I also amazed at how what a meticulous like note taker I was of of my (laughs) life and what I was noticing and feeling and whatever, I'm realizing there was a lot of free time and I was somehow figuring out how to organize that free time. And routine is not something that has come naturally to me as an adult. And I think I often think it's because I didn't have it. So like my family wasn't the most routine family. Like we do a lot of things. 
but we weren't necessarily like routined about it in a in a regular way. And so seeing that like, oh, as a 14 year old, like I was I, I was very consciously building routine um, into the way I was you know, spending my time that summer. And as an adult, I'm continuing to struggle with that. I'm like, where did it go? Did it go away? I don't know. Like, so I've sort of been thinking a lot about that. Yeah. Does it make you want to now like try to establish routine now that you see yourself as a 14 year old doing well, it? It's honest. It's been the my biggest struggle like throughout my 20s has been like I'm every year that's the same goal. It's trying to get a better routine. And every year I'm just not quite there. And, um, and so my sister and I actually, I, we came up with an idea a few weeks ago. Well, we didn't come up with it. I was listening to this radio show and it was an old, it was an episode from like a few years ago, but this older woman was trying to quit smoking. And the way she did it was she decided she would donate a large sum of money to an organization that she did not agree with. Like it was a mission that she, yeah. So it was an immediate, it it was going to force her to immediately have to like reap the repercussions if she did smoke versus, you know, health Hmm. concerns, which take, those things are a little less, more nebulous, less tangible and I think harder to feel the immediate impact of. So, so when I heard that, I was like, what, what isn't, I'm not ready to go that far out, but like, what could I do to even just the this never ending goal of routine building, how could I feel the rewards or more importantly, the the setbacks of it more immediately. How could I just force myself to commit to it a little more in a quicker manner? And so my sister and I, we came up with this idea. We share the bathroom. Um, we did growing up. We, now we do again. And, um, mm-hmm. and so we decided that every week we come up with a goal we're each trying to achieve. So whether it's getting, having an earlier bedtime or writing or or exercising, all the basic things, right? That like, I think everyone's always trying to get to and you just don't do, but we pick one specific one each week. And whoever does it the least that week has to then clean our, the shared tub and toilet. Love so, it. Yeah. So that's Love been, yeah, yeah. So that's been a really good way for us to, to just really, and, and it's like, you have someone you're in comp- competition with. It also serves both of us, whether yeah. you know, whoever wins or loses. Yes. So. Yeah. I love it. I love the quarantine specificness of it because yes. yeah, you're like, we're in here. Oh, that's so great. What's well, a form of accountability? That's so great. Exactly. Which we've always tried to be accountable of each other, but I think it was just always too vague. Like yeah. because so many times it was like, what mm. if we just both commit to doing this? And it was just, I think have forcing us to calculate it at the end yeah. of every week, yeah. forcing us to pay up if we yeah. don't do it. You know, it's, um, it, it, we still have a lot of work to do. Like we still, we're not meeting what the ideal routine is yet for each of us, but I think it's been a good way of forcing baby steps. Yeah. Outer so, accountability. Yeah. Competition between sisters is always a good motivator. Absolutely. So what else have you learned from being in your childhood bedroom, looking at your childhood bookshelves? So I think looking at my bookshelf has reminded me why I got into the work I specifically do right now, Mm. which is um, how do I help find new voices and develop new voices in the pipeline of creation, of artistic expression, um, in media making. Because as much as I love so many of the books um, I read growing up and and they're things I return to to this day, Anne of Green Gables, as Gretchen knows, it's like one of my all-time favorite books. But it's all to say that at the end of the day, you know, my bookshelf does not look the way I would have liked it to look growing up. Yeah. And it doesn't look the way I'd like it to look now in terms of the experiences it represents, in terms of seeing stories that 
I could see myself in a more tangible way, even though I very much related to yeah. a lot of the stories I read and the and the characters I uh, grew up with. At the end of the day, they weren't as representative of the world that I knew in my own life, and and so I'm. It, it's been a good reminder of why I've gotten into the work I, I do, but. I will say the bookshelf doesn't surprise me so much, um, but what has surprised me is seeing my journals and seeing my writing and reflecting on on how I, I veered from maybe initially being interested in being in the media industry to create and going further more along a path of fixing systems that I think are very mm, important to yeah. fix in order to create the kind of work I hope to create and, um, and that I would like to see created by others. But I think... Being in this quarantine and, and and sitting with these things more has made me realize I have pushed aside my creative self and it might be time to start rethinking about that. And how do I start paying more attention to that and, and not getting too sidetracked by trying to fix these problems that that I've, I'm very committed to while not losing like, well, what still what do how do I want to even just simply contribute if I didn't have to think about these problems? Yeah, you should just be able to create what you want to create and not have the burden of change. Right. right. Yeah. And I think I'm trying to make sense of that because initially my interests were always to be a producer, like from straight out of college. I didn't really know what a producer was, but I'd heard enough to know. <laughs> I think that's what I want to be. So, mm-hmm. so early on, I was like, I want to be a producer. And what I'm now beginning to realize more is once I was outside of the safety net of an institution, right, of a university, I wasn't as bold in, in trying to figure out how to create because I think it wasn't as clear to me how to even get into these systems. And, and it's just never been my priority to necessarily include my stories or include my voice. But now uh. when I look back, I think, but wait, no, maybe I do want that too. And that's okay. And I need to make sure I don't if that is what I want, I don't want yeah. to, I don't want to ignore that or forget about that. So. And do you feel like with everything happening now, it, it's helping you to look at that? Uh, you know what? I think everything that's happening right now is it's, it's refreshing that the national conversation has finally gotten to this point yeah. where people are talking about these issues in much more nuanced and deeper ways, like thinking about systems and structures, because at the end of the day, I think, I, I feel like up till now, there's been, it's all, the conversation never goes deep enough. And so I appreciate that the conversation is finally here. I do hope it, it finally does begin to translate into real systemic, uh, long-term, continuous efforts to try to start undoing these things. And so I think the fact that we're finally at a, we're, we're getting nearer to a point where these conversations aren't just on the sidelines, but up front and, and more centered, like in the, in, in the center of the conversation, I think is that's, that's exciting. So, yeah. It feels like it's so long overdue. So on the one hand, you're like, how is it that it's taken yes. us so long? It just, it's just, it's appalling. And mm-hmm. yet, but here we are. Yes. And let's not blow it and let's yeah. do this. And Sophie, I mean, what you've done um, with Sesame Workshop, and then you've got this other thing that you've been working on, the thread. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I'm building this platform right now for screenwriters and creative writers in general to get feedback from each other, get written feedback in an anonymous way. And my goal in any system I'm working in or trying to build is to make it as equitable as possible. And in order to do that, I really think about three things. There are three Mm -hmm. things I really try to focus on in the beginning. One is how the system is sourcing talent. Mm. And is it coming from pre-established 
networks or pre-established pipelines that maybe aren't naturally getting a lot of different kinds of people? Mm -hmm. And if so, what do I need to do differently to make sure that it is being received by communities, by spaces that haven't naturally been a part of that pipeline? So really Mm -hmm. thinking about how to source talent outside of your network. And, you know, I think something that people really have to begin to recognize and accept more is we don't live in a naturally representative or diverse world. These issues of, of segregation, of separation of opportunities and access to opportunities are really deeply embedded in, in our lives. And I think sometimes the best example of that is looking at a wedding. Like, you know, mm-hmm. most weddings we go to aren't that representative. And that is one of the best examples, I think, of someone's network of how opportunities are being filtered and how opportunities are being uh, passed on. And so I think people really have to to take a hard look at when opportunities come their way or when they're looking for to give out opportunities, how much are you really making sure that you're, you're getting it in front of a lot of different kinds of people who might not naturally be in your network? So that's one thing I think about. It's, yeah, sourcing the talent, sourcing you know, these pipelines. And then the second thing I think about is how do you make your evaluation process as anonymous as possible to Mm -hmm. control for bias? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, um, I think it's really important to have clear channels for feedback and support in any system you're trying to Mm -hmm. build or improve, because right now, you know, a lot of organizations have done a better job of of trying to source and pull in new talent um, from different perspectives, from different communities. But at the end of the day, if, if the space in which people are coming into isn't receiving them or isn't prepared, isn't prepared to really receive them, like they kind of just want to continue to operate as they always have, even uh-huh. though now you have new people in the mix, you're not setting people up for success. And you're not really embracing change if you want to bring in new people, but want old systems to continue. So, uh-huh. yeah, so I sort of think of that as like, you know, putting water in a leaky bucket. It's not yeah, right. it's great that you're getting right. them in the door, but how do you keep <laughs> right. them? But if they pour right out again, right. Exactly. So retention, yeah. So focusing on retention and efforts around having really clear channels for support and, and that feedback is, I think, really crucial. Those are three really clear ideas that make it easier to see how change needs to happen, not just at the top level with some kind of band-aid, but at a deeper yeah. level. Exactly, yeah. Like and, and, and actually, I didn't even know, think about systems until I tried to get in this business and I realized, oh, oh the systems are broken. So in a way, it was like a detour yes. that you did. But this thing in your bedroom has got you back into a place where you can reconnect. Yes, exactly. And sort of reevaluate, oh, ah. how can I make a better balance? Well, Sophie, so you've talked about systems like with Sesame and with this platform that you're creating and your own desire to get back into your your own creative wellspring. Um, I'm hoping that you will turn your your journal into your first YA novel because I cannot wait to read about like six weeks at music camp. Um, But so systems are super important. That's the long game. Do you have like a concrete (laughs) try this at home tip that you would offer our listeners for like something like they could do tomorrow in this area? Yeah. Recently, I heard someone say, and I've now learned it's sort of, I think, a a saying that's maybe been around, treat your budget as your moral document. Oh. Because to me, the way in which people spend is a direct reflection of what they value Mm -hmm. and who they value. And I think especially in this moment, as we're talking about systemic inequality, racial inequality, injustice, that's what these issues really boil down to. Like what communities are resources being spent on in terms of, you know, in any organization, in terms of hiring, in terms of leadership, in terms of 
the projects that people are making, what communities do they serve, what populations do mm -hmm. they serve. Like we're all spending money yeah. all the time. Like no one's like, that's how we live. We live by spending. And I think we don't want to sometimes recognize that anything mm -hmm. we spend is it's going to end up in someone's yeah. pocket. It ends up in people's hands and that gives them the resources and the power that they need to live, to do whatever it is that they're trying to do in this world. And so that to me is the real issue at hand when we're talking about uh, issues around justice and inequality. It's how are we allocating our own budget and our own resources? Because that's a reflection of who we're supporting. Yeah. So I try to be as mindful as I can about that. And that's become my guiding principle. It's been my guiding principle. And I'm really excited to have that ter that phrase now because it really just perfectly encapsulate it. encapsulates well, it. Yes. Yeah. What I like about it too is that tr like our values can feel very kind of transcendent and abstract. And this is a way to translate it into something that's very concrete because you can translate it into everyday life. Yeah. And I think the other really big takeaway that needs to be said is that any changes that don't come with resources aren't real changes. Like any changes that aren't re reallocating resources at the end of the day aren't actually changes. So it's let your budget be your moral doctor. Yeah. And just realizing that these things are happening systemically and we have to be really active if we're, yes. we're going to try to undo it. So. Oh, Sophie, thanks so much. It was Thank so you fun guys. to talk yes, to you. This was great. Yes. I can't wait to see you again in real life, but yes, it was fun I, to see your childhood bedroom. <laughs> Coming up, Gretchen has a gold star for New Yorkers. But first, this break. Learning at home doesn't have to stop for summer. And in fact, there's a really fun way to learn at home. Your child can get super cool, hands-on science and art projects delivered to their door every month. And what child doesn't love to get mail? Do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. And once they're finished, watch their confidence be as big as their smile. Yeah, Gretchen, a friend of mine is doing dad camp this summer because we don't have camps. <laughs> and he Ooh. is using KiwiCo for his campers, uh, his kids, with projects like making a walking robot. And they love it. Oh, it's projects for them to do. Yes. Wonderful. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month on select crates at kiwico.com slash happier. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash happier. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars, and this is your week for demerit. Well, Gretchen, this is fitting since we just talked to Sophie about being in her childhood bedroom, because this is kind of a childhood bedroom type of demerit. So Jack recently, the last thing he did in his fourth grade year was write an autobiography. Mm. And I had said to him, oh, I wrote an autobiography in fifth grade, and I know I have it. It was entitled Me, Myself, and I, I remember. <laughs> And I told him, like, I will find it and I'll show it to you. And, you know, we can bond over our autobiographies. And, oh. yeah, I was really excited about it. And I know I have it because I've seen it. But typical uh, me, I didn't look for it and therefore did not find it and did not share with him my autobiography. And now he's turned it in and, you know, the whole thing is kind of over. And so I just really wish that I had taken the time to find my autobiography and share it with him. 
I know I've seen it. I know I have it. I know it's saved, but I have no idea where it is. I'm but surprised. Probably you- if I looked in like five places, I would find it. I would have thought that the minute he handed it in, you would have found yours because that's the way these things always go, but right. it hasn't shown up yet. Well, I haven't been looking. That's what that's the problem. It's oh. That's why it's a demerit. If I'd been looking and I hadn't found it, I wouldn't give myself a demerit. The demerit comes from the fact that I Ah. just sort of was like, oh, I'm going to find my autobiography. And then I didn't even look. And that makes Ah. me sad with myself. So, Okay. Well, I got it. But Gretchen, um, give us a gold star. What's your gold star this week? Well, I want to give a gold star to New York City, or at least the New York City that I see, which is the New Yorkers are doing a good job of wearing masks for the most part. And certainly when I'm walking around, I really see people wearing masks just all the time. And it's just really nice because it just it just kind of creates this atmosphere where everybody feels comfortable wearing a mask. And then I think people feel more comfortable going out and about if they need to be out and about because they see that people are wearing a mask. Good for New Yorkers. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Do something. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thanks to Sophie Solomon, our terrific guest. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and rate or review us. All those things very much help the show. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. Have you two ever tried to do a challenge with each other? Well, I'm, I'm the happiness bully, so I'm always trying to, you know, give Elizabeth challenges by dressing them up uh, like in fancy wrapping paper. But that's not really what they are. But Gretch, we're never in competition with each other. That's the key. I think that's we need a good true. old fashioned friendly competition. All right. Yeah. Yes. OK, Sophie, we will. Something I could win. <laughs> <laughs> From the Onward Project.